You're listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Here's what's coming up in today's edition. As with all but two of the seven churches, he begins with an encouraging word, but he follows with a corrective word. And he said, here's my correction. Here's what I've got an issue with. Here's what I want you to deal with. Here's what you must deal with, or it's going to destroy the whole church. Here it was. He said, I got this complaint against you. You are permitting that Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. I want you to notice, she called herself a prophetess. In a world of rapidly evolving standards, what are we supposed to do as Christians? Do we let certain beliefs infiltrate who we are? Or do we cling to what we know to be true? Today in his message, Pastor Jeff wants you to know that no matter what the world throws at you, nothing matters more than remaining true to God's Word. When you're unsure of what to believe, start there. The wisdom of man will always fail, even leaders of the faith, but God never will. Root yourself in a loving, inspiring body of Christ. Well, let's join Pastor Jeff in the book of Revelation chapter 2 as he begins his message, Thyatira, the Loose Church. I didn't write this. This is in the Word of God, and so I'm going to talk about it. Now, so far in our series, Love Letters to the Church, that's the name of this series, Love Letters to the Church, these seven uh, little brief postcards or letters that Jesus sent to every one of these churches. We've dealt with three of them so far. Here they are quickly. The first one was Ephesus, which is the lacking church. They were lacking their first love. They had lost their first love. So we call Ephesus the lacking church. Second church was Smyrna. We call Smyrna the loyal church because they had been loyal through the worst of times and had not given up the name of Jesus. And then Pergamos was the lax church, the lax church because they were not dealing with some things that they should have been dealing with. They were lax. They were sort of a swinging in the spiritual hammock and not really dealing with some things that were hurting them. But now this church, Thyatira, we're going to call the loose church because things were happening in this church in the idolatry and sexual arena that were not in the will of God. Now I want you to notice Jesus' opening words are powerful and they are encouraging. He said, this is the message from the Son of God. Eyes like fire, feet like bronze. I know what you're doing. I know what you have done. Now look what he says. I've seen your love, your faith, your service, your patient endurance, and I see your constant improvement. Wow. They're batting a thousand in my mind, right? Look at that. that love, faith, service, patient endurance, and constant improvement. What could go wrong? Well, something did go wrong. So notice you can have a lot of things going right and have some things going wrong that if you don't deal with it, it'll mess with the things going right. Right? Amen. As with all but two of the seven churches, he begins with an encouraging word, but he follows with a corrective word. And he said, here's my correction. Here's what I've got an issue with. Here's what I want you to deal with. Here's what you must deal with or it's going to destroy the whole church. Here it was. He said, I got this complaint against you. You are permitting that Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. I want you to notice she called herself a prophetess. She was not recognized by any local church, by any of the apostles. She was never sent out by a local church. None of that. She is a self-proclaimed 
prophetess. Now, I know there's none of that going on in these days, but I just wanted to point it out. Right? So she calls herself a prophetess. So she went into this church and began to tout her own spirituality. And I'm a prophetess. I'm not only saved and spirit-filled, but I've got a heavy gift. I've got a call from God, and I'm here to bring God's word to you. And she infiltrated this church that way. She came under a spiritual disguise. And he said, what she's doing is leading my servants astray. This woman was actually exercising influence over God's genuine servants. These were not kind of Christians, almost Christians, peripheral Christians. These were servants of Christ that she had begun to, uh, to influence in a sinful direction. And what does she do? She teaches them. So notice she's in a teaching position. She's teaching. She, she's elevated in this church. She has, she has worked her way into a position of influence in this church, a teacher. And what is she teaching? She's teaching my servants to commit sexual sin and to eat food offered to idols. In other words, she's teaching my servants immorality and she's teaching them to mix other religions or faiths or belief systems in with Christianity because that's what idolatry was. If you're worshiping an idol, it stood for something. It was another God, another belief system. And she was teaching mixing it, uh, combining it, sort of like a religious stew. And this was her message. And we find that almost all of the Lord's corrective word or message to Thyatira deals with this woman, Jezebel. Now, we have no reason to believe anything other than this was a, an actual person. Some people say, well, she just symbolizes a cult or something that was worming its way into this church. But that's not what the language suggests. The language suggests this was a woman, a real flesh and blood woman. And by calling her Jezebel, I don't think her real name was Jezebel. I think Jesus was alluding to the Old Testament Jezebel, wicked King Ahab's wife. And he called her Jezebel to, to let us know what she stood for, what spirit she was walking in. All right? Well, who was the Old Testament Jezebel? Well, that Jezebel had defiled Israel. She was the wife. She was the queen of Israel. She was King Ahab's wicked queen wife. And man, she was a trip, this Jezebel. She had... She had led Israel into national worship of Baal. Baal is, is, it required the sacrifice of children. It required, it, it led into sexual sin. It was filthy. It was vile. God was 110% against it. God raised up Elijah to destroy it in Israel. And, and, when, and he mostly did it. But what remained, God raised up Jehu to, to finish the job. Baalism was so vile, so wicked, so evil. And yet this wicked queen Jezebel uh, loved Baal, loved Baalism and instituted Baalism in the whole nation of Israel. And if you went against her, she killed you. She was immoral. She was promiscuous. Queen Jezebel. Even when Jehu is coming to get her and she's up in a tower it says she painted her eyes and painted her lips 
to try to appear seductive to him, to seduce him away from killing her. She was fleshly. She was carnal. She was no doubt attractive. And she knew it and she played it. She had also murdered hundreds of God's prophets. You remember the little guy Obadiah, who was a servant of King Ahab, but was a man of God, had hidden away hundreds of God's prophets so that Jezebel could not get them and kill them. She was wicked. She was evil. This woman was a case study in sociopathy. Sociopath. No conscience. No love. No natural affection. She just wanted power for herself. The Bible reveals several things about the nature of Jezebel. Let's remember, Jesus called this woman in the book of Revelation Jezebel, so he's hearkening back to this Old Testament woman. She was proud. She walked in arrogance. She exuded arrogance. She assumed authority God had not given to her. That's Jezebel. She claimed Superior holiness. I, I've got an inside track on true spirituality and it's Baal and I'm going to lead the whole nation into it because I'm right about this. And I don't want Israel's God. I don't want Jehovah. I want Baal. So she claimed superior holiness. She walked as if she was a holy woman. And she despised authority, but guess what? Mainly male authority. She despised male authority. Jezebel was also highly gifted. She was a gifted woman and very persuasive. She knew how to use words and use her position to get what she wanted. She was manipulative to the hilt. When her mind was made up to do evil, she was resolute. Nothing stopped this woman when she decided to do a wrong thing. She was rebellious. She was ambitious. This is a big thing with Jezebel. She was ambitious in obtaining and upholding her own power. She wanted power and she was ambitious in getting it and maintaining it and sustaining it. She wanted power that God never called her to have, but she took it until God brought her down. Now, a lot of people talk about the spirit of Jezebel. I'm not saying there's a demon called Jezebel, but when you say the spirit of Jezebel, you're talking about somebody who carries the characteristics and ways of this woman. And this spirit of Jezebel, to me, seems to be different from other spirits that are more fleshly appetite-driven. The Jezebel spirit tends to exercise the most cunning and the most diplomacy. She's subtle, she's crafty, she flies under the radar. She's very, very uh, uh, artistic in, in manipulating and getting what she wants, and she gets it before you even know she was after it. In other words, she's good at what she does. It's diabolical in how she secretly tries to rip apart relationships and churches from the inside out. That's the spirit of Jezebel. Jezebel's motto is divide and conquer. I will divide people. I will split people apart. I will sow discord with nobody realizing I'm doing it because I divide and then I conquer. I don't know how she got into this teaching position in Thyatira, but I'll guarantee you, she manipulated her way there. Y'all with me? 
This spirit of Jezebel shows traits of hatred, seduction, calculation, and, and manipulation. And when Jezebel doesn't get what she wants, look out. Because she will lash out. One day she came home and poor little husband Ahab. Ahab, listen, he was submitted to Jezebel. She ruled the roost. And she came home and he's pouting. He's always pouting. He's a big baby. King Ahab. Big baby. Boo-hoo-hoo. She said, what's the matter? He said, well, there's a vineyard over there that I want. His name is Naboth. The owner is named Naboth. And I asked him to sell it to me and he won't sell it to me. And she said, she said, what are you talking about? What we want, we get. You hang on. I'll get you that vineyard. And she hired some liars to go and tell a lie about Naboth. And he was stoned to death. And she took that vineyard and gave it to her husband. Like I said, when Jezebel doesn't get what she wants, she lashes out, either covertly or overtly. She'll either do it in front of people or under the radar, but she will lash out if she doesn't get what she wants. She doesn't know the, the meaning of giving her case to God and, and submitting to God and letting him give her what he wants her to have. Now, let me just bring this to us today. The spirit of Jezebel, if you read church history, has again and again wrought havoc in the churches of God throughout the ages. The spirit of Jezebel, because it's alive and well. What Jezebel in the Old Testament walked in uh, is, is everywhere today. It can be found uh, at work on a large scale in today's church world. Spirit of Jezebel. You say, well, how so, Jeff? Where? Tell me where. I'm glad you asked. Well, remember, wh what did she teach? She was a teacher that persuaded genuine Christians blood-bought, born-again, spirit-indwelt Christians that sexual immorality and mixing other gods with Christianity was acceptable. She's in the church in Thyatira teaching this stuff. I don't know how many were in her class, but she's teaching it. This is what she's teaching. Thus says the Lord, I'm a prophetess. This is what God says. Her message then and now is that a Christian can live in sexual sin just like the world, and God's good with that. And, and as we look around us today, we witness whole denominations caving into a spirit of Jezebel. Whole denominations. Some of them have placed their seal of approval on homosexuality and same-sex marriage. They have okayed it, seal of approval, even celebrate it. Say, well, there you go, off on homosexuality. Let me tell you something. Can you imagine having a adultery pride month? How about a fornication pride month? Are you proud of your fornication? Let's celebrate. How about pedophilia month? Oh, oh, then why do we celebrate a sexual sin for a whole month? I think next year we'll do an adultery pride month. Yeah, we'll have, you know, balloons and We'll give away things in the foyer. No, 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 no. See, homosexuality is just one of many sexual sins the Bible condemns. I'm not picking on it, but I'm telling you that there are whole denominations who have caved in to this agenda and are celebrating it, placing seal of approval on it, even ordaining people living in this lifestyle. One worldwide church denomination that I won't name 
has been willing to lose over 6,000 of their cooperating churches over their acceptance of the homosexual lifestyle and even insisting on ordaining people that live in it. They've been willing to watch 6,000 churches walk and be greatly diminished to stand for this. There's a lot of many influential carriers of the Jezebel spirit out there, uh, whole denominations. The Jezebel spirit got a hold of that denomination. Because what does she teach? Sexual immorality and mixing other faiths with the Christian faith. One very well-known female blogger, who I won't name because I don't want to give her any limelight. She's a New York Times best-selling Christian, I use air quotes here, author, has thoroughly departed from sound theology and walks in the spirit of Jezebel. She has come out loud and proud on behalf of homosexuality, claiming it's just another form of love. In her latest book that just hit the shelves, she spends a good bit of time blasting the church, downplaying the clarity of scripture, dissing the necessity of obedience to Jesus' teachings. Yet her influence over Christian women is so vast that one women's ministry leader wrote this to church leaders nationwide. Quote, and this gave me the heebie-jeebies when I read it, but I'm going to read it to you. The most influential women's leader at your church may be someone who has never stepped inside its sanctuary. It may be someone your pastor has never even heard of. She then heartily recommends this false teacher to church leadership by saying this. She sent this out to church leaders nationwide. It's time to be more directly invested in the spiritual nurture of half of your church. Meaning, it's time to bring this woman to speak to your women. Everybody's like, nah. No, but, but that's how pervasive her influence is. Tens of thousands. There's over half a million women that follow her blog. So here's the thing. Listen carefully. I want you to catch this. Whenever you see the teaching or the quiet acceptance of sexual immorality in church circles or the infiltration of other religions like New Age into the Christian faith or, here's a biggie, the redefining of Scripture's clear teaching on morality under the guise of special revelation given to some self-proclaimed prophet or charismatic leader, or finally, high-level divisive manipulation in order to gain and maintain inappropriate power you're looking at the spirit of Jezebel at work. The bottom line is that Jesus is informing the church, particularly the leadership at Thyatira, that the influence of Je Jezebel must be stopped immediately. He's telling them, you better deal with this and you better deal with it now or I'm about to come and pay a visit. The leadership at Thyatira, I'm picturing these guys, it's, it's men, it's elders. And, and apparently they've been intimidated by this woman. That's what Jezebel can do. She intimidates and had put too much stock, they had put too much stock in her 
personal claim of being a prophet with authority from God. Uh, and on top of that, their discernment was DOA. They failed to see, she called her teachings the deep things of God. That's what she called them, the deep things of God. Oh, if you want to come hear the deep things of God, come to this meeting, come to this revival, come to this uh, series of messages brought by this incredible prophet. Anytime I hear that somebody's going to come teach the deep things of God, a big flag goes up in me. Because here's what Jesus said about the deep things of God she claimed to be teaching. He said, in, in actuality, they are the deep things of Satan. So Jesus is saying to them, wake up and deal with this quickly. Now, apparently, by the time of Jesus appearing to John and giving him this word for Thyatira, uh, she's already been given opportunity to repent. Verse 21, I gave her time to repent. I gave her time to repent. I gave her time. But she doesn't want to turn away from her immorality. Therefore, I will throw her. Listen to this. I didn't write this. Therefore, I, Jesus, will throw her on a bed of suffering. And those who commit adultery with her will suffer greatly unless they repent and turn away from her evil deeds. Everybody say, oh boy. Or yikes. I'd rather deal with it myself rather than have Jesus show up and do it. <laughs> right? So he said, I gave her time. She didn't take the time. So here's some real quick nuggets that we can glean from Thyatira. First, the Lord sees everything. Amen? Lord sees everything. Everybody with me? See, it's, it's the lie of the devil, but the Lord's not going to see me do this. The Lord sees everything, good and bad. We, and, and one of the reasons this story is in the book of Revelation is to teach you and me something that is quickly fading away in America. Well, really, actually, it's gone in America. The fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord. Everybody say the fear of the Lord. When was the last time you heard a message on the fear of the Lord? Yeah, you got to think a while, don't you? God sees everything, the good and the bad. And that's why we have the fear of the Lord, because he, he sees everything. Hebrews says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable and will give an account of our life. Now that verse right there, should give you the fear of the Lord. In case it didn't, I got one more. Proverbs 15, 3, the Lord is watching everywhere and keeps his eye on the evil and the good. I couldn't look at what God looks at every day. I don't know how God looks at what God looks at every day. If I was God, I'd wrap this whole thing up before church was over. But I'm not God. But, but I want you to notice, he sees everything. Now, I know what you're thinking of the fear of the Lord. That doesn't sound, let me tell you what the fear of the Lord is. Here's what it does not mean. It does not mean we are to be constantly afraid of God, filled with terror, filled with dread, like, like you would be if you saw a tornado coming towards your house or some terrible storm was shaking the foundations of your dwelling. Uh, that's, that's phobos. That's dread, tormenting fear. That's not the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord means simply this. You have a deep respect and awe for God's power and God's authority. See, I mean, I feared my dad. I didn't have a dread phobia of my dad, but I was in reverence and awe of my dad. And I knew if I did something wrong, my dad could whoop me, right? But that wasn't the only thing. I had reverence for him. There was respect for him. He was my dad. 
But if you have that towards your earthly dad, what about heavenly father? In a society that's evolving faster than ever, what do we do when our faith is challenged? When the world tells us it's okay to loosen up on our morals and get with the times, do we adapt? In today's message from Pastor Jeff, he illustrated that the most important aspect of your faith is your resolution in the truth of God's Word. Above all else, uphold His promises and shut out the lies of the world. The ethics of man will always change. God never will. Here's Diane with some more info about Hardwired. Being part of a local community of believers is vital for spiritual growth. If you're not already connected somewhere, we want to invite you to be part of our church family. Pastor Jeff and the rest of us here at Turning Point Church would love to meet you. We're in Fort Worth, Texas, so check us out. Go to hardwired.org and click on the tab TPC Family to find all the details. That's hardwired.org. Daniel has more to tell you about the next edition. When the wisdom of the world is hitting you relentlessly, what do you do? How do you maintain a commitment to God's truths amidst these influences? In his next message, Pastor Jeff shows you how to withstand the lies of the world. When you're being told to pursue money and success, it's always alluring, but nothing will last the way God's truths will. Stand committed to the cause of Christ and experience the glorious plans that He has in store for you. That's all we have for today's edition of Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. If you'd like a copy of today's message, you can download it from our website, hardwired.org. Be sure to tune in again as Pastor Jeff continues teaching through the book of Revelation next time on Hardwired.